Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today I'm going to talk about why sometimes if if prayer is a response to the Father calling out to us, if, if prayer is a conversation with the Father, then why sometimes does it feel like we can't hear the Father speaking back to us? And whatever that might be like, uh, whether it might be an audible response from God. I've never had an audible response from God, although times when I was in trouble as a kid, it seemed like that when my dad called my name, it was an audible voice from God himself about to bring the judgment. But how do, you know, all the different ways that God speaks to us. How do I know when it's God really talking to me when I read a certain Bible verse or maybe when I feel an impression on my heart or when another person, another Christian, another Jesus follower speaks something into my life or when circumstances just seem to be kind of hurting me a certain way. How can I be sure that that is God trying to communicate with me and what we're we're asking this morning and you know this this problem that I'm kind of putting out there is not something that that's new to us or unique with us there's this this famous parable that Jesus gave and if you've been here any length of time if you've been in church any length of time you've probably heard this parable before the story that Jesus uses before that we're going to cover today but it holds some keys to unlock maybe I should say it holds some keys to unblocking our ears to the voice of the Father, unblocking our ears to be able to hear and understand what God wants to say to us. Because honestly, this feels like a problem. Does God really speak to us today? Is God still concerned with answering us? And and what if what I think is God talking to me is really just last night's Taco Bell, right? It was tamales and chili verde and everything else. Like I shouldn't even bring up Taco Bell and that stuff in the same sentence. If you think Taco Bell is Mexican food, I wonder if you can be saved. I really do. But but how do we know that it's not just spicy food? How do we know that it is really Jesus trying to talk to us, the Father trying to get through to us? And we all have these these times in life where we pray and we think it's God and we're not really sure. I'm going to be open and transparent this morning. There was a time I thought God wanted me to marry a different girl than Chelsea. Yeah. Is Chelsea in here? She's not in here. Okay. Let me keep going. I was engaged once before Chelsea and it fell apart Because it wasn't God's will. I thought it was God's will, but it wasn't God's will. It turned out to be a distraction of the devil. (laughs) I really hope those people aren't listening to this thing. I seriously doubt they are. But how, how? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can we just get honest in church on a Sunday morning? How do we know? How can I know that it's God talking to me, that it's God trying to get through to me. And so again, apparently this isn't just a problem for us. It's not a problem that's unique to us. Jesus addressed it to people that were standing right next to him. You need to learn how to discern between the different voices that are coming at you. And one time he was talking with the religious leaders of his day. He was always seemingly at odds with the religious leaders of his day. The people that it seemed like he should have had the most in common with. The church leaders, it seemed like he was totally and completely opposite of them. And, 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 you know, they weren't treating people like God intended. They were not helping the people of their day see God as a father. There was nothing in their message or their methods that made people want to get close to God. And so Jesus was just a little bit ticked off with these people. And, and he's telling them, you guys keep getting God's agenda mixed up with your own agenda. So I'm going to try and explain to you how these people can know when it is the Father's voice and when it's not. And so he picks an analogy from their time and he uses, he talks about a shepherd and sheep and we don't, you know, usually herd sheep around here in 2018 Northern America, but he he, he talks to them about this, this idea that was very common to them, that when shepherds with herds of sheep would come close to a city, they were like parking garages for their sheep these sheep pens, and they would go and bring their sheep to these sheep pens, and they would, you know, I don't know, get a ticket or whatever, and they would send all the sheep in there. And then in this sheep pen would just be this big herd of mixed sheep, 
like their sheep and the other shepherd's sheep and the other shepherd's sheep, and they would just all be in there in a big jumble. And then the shepherd would go into the town, do whatever business he had to do, and then he would come back out to the, the parking garage for the sheep, and he would call out his sheep, and his sheep would come to him when he would call their name. And this is actually a known behavior, a documented behavior in sheep. This wasn't something foreign to these people. It's foreign to us, but they all understood what Jesus was talking about. In John chapter 10, he talks about, he calls, talking about the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. Now, can you imagine that picture? That this shepherd walks up in sandals and in a robe with a, you know, the curved stick and he just starts calling out to the sheep. Hey, sleepy and dopey and happy and grumpy and gluttony and whatever else he called them. Come on out and, and the sheep would actually come to him and they would follow him out. And, and then he would, Jesus is saying, and then he leads them off wherever it is they need to go. And he says, and his sheep follow him. And here's why they follow him. Because they know his voice. Wouldn't you like to know the voice of God? Wouldn't you like to know when it was God speaking to you? Now there's a really easy test I'm gonna give you this morning. You ready? Here's a really easy way to know God's voice and what it sounds like. Take a $1 bill and put it in your right pocket. Take a $20 bill and put it in your left pocket. And then ask God which one you should give in the offering. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was corny. But these sheep know, know the voice of their shepherd and they will never follow a stranger. I love this. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And my dog, you know, my dog knows my voice. I'm pretty sure if there were competing voices calling for my dog, my dog would come to me, but when you get to the dog park, I mean, man, all bets are off. You can't get that dog to come, but sheep are different. And even with competing voices and even with competing distractions, when the shepherd calls the sheep, when they know that shepherd's voice, they come when he calls. And then John kind of pokes fun at the religious leaders and he says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. John's, I love the Bible's full of little details like this. That, you know, John's kind of poking fun at them. It went right over their heads. And if Jesus was saying that the sheep know their shepherd's voice, then if they didn't understand what he was saying, they must not have had Jesus as their shepherd. So Jesus, how can I make sure that you are my shepherd? How can I be confident that when you speak, I know it? And when it isn't you, I know that it's not you. I want to make you my shepherd. Can I hear an amen from anybody this morning? I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to talk like you. You were so beautiful and so attractive, the most incredible figure in human history. Jesus, help me to recognize your voice. And so Jesus talked about this a lot during his public ministry. And I want to pick up from a time that Jesus not only addresses the issue, but he teaches us how we can hear his voice more clearly through all of the distractions. And there was this teaching moment that Luke recorded for us. And I like Luke because Luke was a little bit like us. He came to the Jesus movement later. As far as we can tell from history, he never met Jesus personally, never saw him face to face or heard his voice. He had questions about what was going on, but there was something undeniable about this Jesus movement. And, and there was this powerful proof in the community and the church that Jesus had risen from the dead. And, and so Luke started interviewing all of the eyewitnesses and he correlated all of the accounts and he put everything together and cross-checked and cross-referenced. And this physician named Luke turned into an investigative journalist and he wrote down what we call the gospel according to Luke, but really it was the gospel according to eyewitnesses that Luke interviewed. But Luke tells us about this time when Jesus was traveling and he was teaching and his disciples were with him. And the, the, these people from several small villages kind of came together for like this combined gathering around Jesus. And so Jesus thinks, well, man, this is a good, uh, as good of a teaching moment as any. So he stops and he starts talking to this people and he starts telling them this kind of confusing farming metaphor. And we're gonna to come to that in a second, but he gets to the end. I'm gonna go back through it, but I want you to see something that he says at the end of this first. 
He gets to the end of the farming metaphor and then he says something so important. In Luke chapter eight and verse eight, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, isn't that profound? I mean, like what else are ears for? That's the way I used to think. Like what else are ears for? And then I had a son. And you figure out that ears can be used for just about anything else but hearing. It can hold small objects. They can collect wax and dust and pencils and you can use them to actually move the kid where you need them to go and it works really well. And Jesus is saying, you know, what Jesus is getting at is saying, have you ever met someone, and this is something that I think we can all relate to. Have you ever met someone and you've been talking to them and you can tell they are just not interested in what you have to say? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're trying to be polite. You're trying to act like you're interested in the weather. And you can tell that they just don't, they would not care. They wouldn't be upset if you were to disappear in a puff of smoke. Like they're good. And really, when you're in that situation, how much do you try and talk with that person? After you, re- oh, I don't either, Sandra. That's right. I don't. When, when you realize they're just not listening to you, you just don't keep trying for very long after that, right? And Jesus is saying, everybody has ears. And there's even a crowd gathered around me today, but not everybody is using their ears to really listen what I am, to, to what I am trying to tell them. And so he would do this on purpose. He would kind of code his sermons. He would intentionally make his messages a little bit confusing. And he did this on purpose. He actively hid his meanings from everybody so that he could have deeper conversations with the somebodies who wanted to really hear what he was trying to say. And so he's trying to explain something to us that what makes the difference between hearing and not hearing from the Father depends on us. It depends on us. And he starts off in Luke chapter eight and verse five with his farming metaphor. And he says, a farmer went out to sow a seed and as he was scattering the seed, everybody say scattering. Some fell along the path. And it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. And that seems pretty indiscriminate of the farmer, right? He's just throwing it out there, not really caring where it lands, just throwing seed, scattering all willy-nilly. People are listening and they're kind of, okay, yeah, Jesus, we know a little bit what you're talking about, but we're not really sure what the deeper meaning is. And he goes on, he says, some seed fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with the seed and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil. And it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And then notice this. When he had said this, he called out. I think he kind of cupped his hands around his mouth. Maybe there was a little sarcasm in his voice, like he knew, a little exasperation in his voice, like he knew not everybody that's hearing me is really listening to what I am saying. And so he calls out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, let them hear. And his disciples are with him and they'd seen him do this a hundred, a thousand times. And they're thinking, okay, guys, Jesus is getting a little exasperated. Maybe he's a little hungry. Has anybody got a bagel in their pack? You know, we get, Jesus, calm down. Jesus, we know that this is one of those messages where you're trying to teach us something and the message isn't really the message. The message is kind of the key to a different message. So can you tell us what you really mean by your message? And so Jesus takes them aside and he begins to explain a huge principle. And this is so big to you and me that want to know more about prayer. The issue with prayer and the issue with hearing from the Father is not that the Father is not talking. The seed is going everywhere. The seed is going anywhere. The seed is going to deserving people and undeserving people. It's going to people who are asking and people who are not asking. It's going to people who have money and who don't have money. It's people who have messed up a relationship and people who haven't yet messed up. It's going everywhere. The issue is not that God is not talking. The issue is that his words aren't always landing in a place where they can produce anything. 
And so the key to hearing the voice of the Father, hearing the voice of the Father depends on the condition of the heart where it lands. The seed is the same. God's mercy is the same. God's grace is the same. God's promise to be with you is the same. I don't care if this is your first day here or you're like Bishop and started this thing. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your background. And this is what's so beautiful about seeing God as our father, that he loves you and he loves me equally. There are no favorites with him, but he has loved us all, all. with his same great love. And so what's different is not God's words. What's different is not access to God. What's different is the condition of the heart where God's words are landing. Mm. Mm. Which means we have some control over our conversation. Luke chapter eight and verse 11, Jesus starts to break it down a little bit more. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. It's God's message. It's God's answer. It's God's reply. It's God's will spoken to us all. And there's great news because he is very indiscriminate. He casts it everywhere. God does not just talk with people who wear pointy hats and thump Bibles. God scatters his words and his love and his grace to everybody, which is the best kind of news for you and me because all of us, All of us in different seasons of life, we have been the kind of ground, the kind of soil that would reject the seed. Can I hear an amen? But God comes back to us again and again and again. And Jesus is cluing us in that God is sending out his words to all people all the time. But then he goes on to explain why we can't seem to hear those words in a way that produces anything. In verse 12, he says, those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now notice the devil comes along the path. Travelers walk along the path. Different voices are the ones that walk along the path. And if our hearts are open to any traveler, if we give access in our hearts to any kind of voice, if we give access in our hearts to any kind of philosophy or any so-called wisdom or any so-called set of morals, there is a danger of someone coming and snatching away what trust in God's word we do have. And can I just say this morning, if there is anything, if there is anyone, if there is any voice, if there is any idea that leads us away from Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the light, I'm telling you, we need to block access to that voice. You need to turn off that voice. You need to shut that voice out. Only Jesus is the answer. Only Jesus is the way. His life is radiant. His mercy is amazing. His example is unmatchable. His grace is without fail. His love is without limits. I'm telling you, you can trust in Jesus, but don't just trust anyone else. Listen to him and him only. Do you realize 2,000 years ago, a Jewish carpenter, a Jewish carpenter, In the middle of the desert. He wasn't rich. He wasn't wealthy. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a car or a chariot. (laughs) He didn't have anything. He only had a three-year public career. Less than one presidential term. A three-year public career. And yet he has completely changed the course of human history. 
And what's amazing to me is I delve into apologetics and, and things like this and trying to help our youth nowadays. It's amazing to me that there has been generation after generation after generation of skeptics and people that try and push Jesus down and put Jesus in a box and store him on a shelf and say that he has nothing to say to us anymore. It's been tried for 2,000 years to marginalize Jesus, but yet he still stands at the center of Western civilization civilization. He stands at the center of my life. He stands at the center of so many lives, even in this room, right? There's something about Jesus. It's been 2,000 years, and yet one-third of the world's population says that their lives have been impacted and changed by a Jewish carpenter. Something about Jesus. There's something about Jesus. He was absolutely brilliant. He is absolutely radiant. He shines without equal. I am telling you, and when you finally begin to see and hear past all of the noise around the story of Jesus, when you finally see him as the figure who went and offered his life, laid down his life as a covering for your failures and for my failures, as one who paid the penalty for your injustices and my injustices. Once you somehow get past your doubt and your skepticism and you really begin to embrace it, it could possibly be true that this Jewish carpenter from 2,000 years ago could somehow know me and think that I am worth laying down and giving up his own life for. It changes everything. It changes everything. No one has ever loved me like Jesus. No one ever will love me like Jesus. No one has ever loved you like Jesus loves you. Come on all over this room and give, your, give him a round of applause this morning. Clap your hands. So the first shift that we have to make to really hear What God is trying to say to us is to shift from unbelief to trust, from doubting to trusting. And I really like the word trust because I think it implies more of an action. It's not just something that you put in your brain and never gets to your hands or your feet. But I think it actually more, more accurately reflects what his first followers had to do because they weren't really sure what they believed about him. You know, I love the Jesus movement. It's amazing to me. You don't have to be perfect to start following Jesus. You don't have to have it all figured out. His first 12 followers did not have it all figured out. They had doubts. In fact, even after he rose from the grave, one of his followers got a nickname. His name was Thomas, and we all call him Doubting Thomas. That happened after the resurrection. And we have doubts and we struggle with fears and they were a little scared of how it was all gonna work out and they were all worried how it was gonna affect the way that people looked at them just like we sometimes worry about it all. But they simply took a step and they began to trust and they began to follow someone who could love them like they had never been loved before. And it changed everything for them and it can change everything for us. Can I hear an amen this morning? But we cannot hear from God when we're listening to someone else. And so the first shift is to understand that to hear God's voice, we have to turn down this world's volume. To hear God's voice, you have to turn down the noise and the voices coming from other places. The trust that you need to follow Jesus on a new path is something that no one can give to you. But I'm here to challenge you this morning and to give you a warning this morning that others can certainly take it from you. So guard your heart and let Jesus' words stay in your heart and change you. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust Jesus. Amen. Jesus goes on in verse 13. He talks about the other kind of ground. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. So they believe for a while. But in the time of testing, they fall away. Receive the word with joy, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Anybody ever hear a message on Sunday and think that is the best message I have ever heard? 
was hoping for a little more than that, but we'll go on. But then you go out to lunch and you tell someone, man, that's the best message I've ever heard. It was so good. Jared got so deep. Oh, it's awesome. It's incredible. And what they ask you, what, what was it about? <laughs> Maybe like you got your kid in the car, right? And, Did you like Sunday school? Yeah. What was it about? Jesus? God? Uh, the Bible? And sheep? And seed? And ground? And Jared's failed engagement? And that's all I remember from today. Jesus said it's like rocky ground. Anybody know what farmers do with the rocks they find in their field? They throw them out. They throw them out. My dad and my brother went to Scotland uh, here recently, and Jason was just saying this the other day. My dad gets over there in Scotland, and there are castles you know, built on the cliff's edge with the, the sea roaring in and crashing in the cliffs of Moher and all of these things going on. And you know, they're driving along with all of this, and Jason's going, wow, wow, wow. And my dad's going, would you look at those rock walls? Those are really amazing. That's what, stop right here. I want to get out and look at these rock walls that were just on the sides of the road. But then Jason took him to a castle and he was done looking at it like in five minutes or something like that. Wanted to get something to eat. The farmers take the rocks out of the the fields and they put them on the side. And then they build walls with them. Why? Because the roots of the plants have to get down into the soil. And the rocks get in the way of the roots. But it's only the seed that gets rooted in the soil that becomes a productive plant. That's the theory behind weed blocker fabric. That is false advertisement. That stuff does not completely block weeds. I have put down a ton of that stuff in my backyard. Now, there is one thing, like the weeds in the pathway. It's nice, you know, because the weeds in the pathway don't get very deep roots, and so my kids can pull them up really quick. But, you know, it's just the weed blockers don't really, you know, let anything grow there. The rocks don't let anything grow there. And so I want to ask us this morning, what junk is there in your life that is stopping God's word from really taking root in your heart? What habits are in your life that you know should not be in your life? What addictions are in your life that you know you need to get out of your life? What do you keep doing and then keep quitting and then you keep doing and then you say, well, I can quit anytime. I stopped three times last week. What thing is in your life that you need to get out of your life so that God's word can grow in your heart? That every time you go there, you always end up regretting it. That every time you talk about it, you end up gossiping about it. And it's nothing but pain and conflict. And, and, and every time you get around him or every time you get around her, you find yourself veering away from being connected with God. What rocks are in your life? And you're stepping back wondering, well, why can't God talk to me? Well, why can't God say anything? How come I don't hear God and God saying, I am talking to you. I've been saying all along to get rid of that junk because it's keeping you from getting any closer it's keeping you from producing anything. In... See, I knew this one was going to be a really popular section of the, the lesson this morning. What is in your life? What have you not gotten rid of that you know you need to get rid of? Hello? The best message ever on Sunday And come Monday, we can't even remember what it was about. And we have the same pain and the same problem. And come Monday, it's like you never even heard what you heard. Because we all have ears, but not all of our ears are for hearing what God is trying to say. So what's competing with God's word in your life? What's blocking God's voice from your life? The second shift that we need to make is from pollution to purity. Because taking out the trash makes room for God's treasure. Can I hear a good amen for rhymes this morning? Taking out the trash makes room for God's treasure. You have to trust him. Hear me this morning. This is why last week is so important. 
Because you'll never do what God wants you to do unless you trust that what God has for you is better. Some of us don't want to listen to God because we're scared of what we know he's going to say to us. And if you're scared of what God is going to say to you, it's because you don't believe that what he has to say for you is really best for you. Well, I'll just leave that one alone. Amen. When somebody asked you what the message was about this morning, you can give them that one. Amen. He is your father. He is your father. He is your heavenly father. He made you. He knows you. He sees you in every moment of frustration and every moment of pain. And I'm telling you, you can trust the heart of a good, good father. Let his voice fill you. Let his spirit baptize you. Submit yourself. Give yourself willingly to the voice of the father. I'm telling you, you will never regret listening to God. Come on, clap your hands all over this room. Jesus goes along. Verse 14, he says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, by riches and by pleasures, and they do not mature. They do not mature. Anybody ever notice that weeds grow on their own? I had weeds a couple of years ago that were like four and five feet tall in my backyard. I want to take credit for growing something, and I can't even take credit for growing that. Y'all have heard of a green thumb? I got like the red thumb of death. Everything I try and grow, it just does not. I can kill a plastic plant. I promise you I can. And those weeds grew in my backyard. I never watered them. I never tilled the ground and killed off all of the other plants so that they would have plenty of room and nourishment. I, I, I never fed them and weeds grew on their own. Anybody ever drove, driven by your neighbor's house and saw a yard full of weeds? Or do your neighbors drive by your house and see a yard full of weeds? Hello, somebody. Let me ask you this. When you see someone's yard full of weeds, what does it say about their attention to their yard. It says that they don't give any attention to their yard. It speaks to neglect. And sometimes the word that God is trying to speak to us is a word that dies because of our neglect. And here's what's interesting. He doesn't say that the seed disappears. He doesn't even say that the seed never starts growing. But he says that it does not mature. It's the kind of person that has a taste of God. It's the kind of person that has an experience with God. We have religion. We know how to do some of the Christian do's and some of the Christian don'ts. But you're to a point in your Christian life where you don't feel like you need to really listen to the voice of God anymore. You got it figured out. You got your routine. You know where you go on Sunday. You know where you're supposed to be when small groups start. <clears throat> you know how to live this Christian life, but you are on autopilot and you are neglecting the voice and what God is trying to call you to that is further than anywhere you have ever been. And so they stop growing. They stop producing for God. And we become professional Christians. We have our own pew. And then Jared takes the pews out. And we have our own plastic chair. We got our own plastic chair. And when you came in and sat in the same place today, you were wondering if somehow by a miracle from heaven, the same plastic chair made it to the same exact place because that's your chair that's supposed to be in your place. Can I hear a bless God this morning? Yeah, bless God, this is my chair and my space. And I can't wait till the new chairs finally come in because I got a whole different seating design and it is gonna mess some of you up. 
I'm telling you, it's a whole new layout. You are just going to walk in the door that Sunday morning and you may even turn around and go home because somebody has messed with your spot because you've got it all worked out. You know exactly how to follow Jesus. And when you know how to follow your little system of religion, you don't need to hear the voice of God anymore. If there is no risk to following Jesus, if you're not praying for somebody's healing, if you're not witnessing to somebody that's lost, if you're not giving, even though your budget is already stretched for the month, but you see another need, and if you don't get, you don't need God. You don't need a miracle. You don't need help anymore. And we wonder, why isn't God talking to me anymore? And the reason that God isn't talking to us anymore is because we're not putting ourselves on the ragged edge of a miracle. We're not placing ourselves in circumstances and situations where, God, if you don't come through, I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say too much. I'm going to pray a prayer that can, oh, come on, somebody. I wish you knew what I was talking about this morning. Following Jesus was never supposed to be safe. It's completely counterculture. Man, this isn't like a giving thing, and I want so bad to talk about money. And I, I could talk about money and giving, and not because the church wants your money, but because this world is hurting And even in a physical sense, our world around us is even hungry. There are kids in our schools that don't have jackets and don't have shoes. Hello, there are lunch programs run by our system of government to help kids because they don't even have all of the nutrition. I'm not talking about somewhere across our border. I'm talking about in Fairfield. And because some of us are not extending our budget to give, the church is handcuffed. I'm not going to talk about money. I'm not going to do it. It's coming. I've got, got a series that I'm getting together. Also, Sonia, where's Sonia? Sonia, Sonia. I can't wait till Sonia gets ready to unveil this thing. We're going to go into Fairview Elementary School. We're going to give a brand new pair of shoes to all 580 students at Fairview Elementary. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. Let me sit on my hobby. I'm almost done. Don't worry. We're not going to go over too much. Let me tell you guys something. I, I can't wait for this. Listen, listen, listen to this concept. Listen to this. When you read the back of the Bible and God's finally king over all, you know, the thing that we're all waiting for and expecting, you know, when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and, you know, he's on the earth and dries every tear and all that kind of stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many people are going to be hungry? Zero. How many people are going to be cold? Zero. How many people are going to be naked when God finally sets up his kingdom over the new heavens and the new earth? Zero. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom Not thy kingdom, we can't wait somewhere far off in the future. Thy kingdom come into my prayer through me. Thy will be done where? On earth as it is done in heaven. We can't wait for the day when God clothes everybody, but we're too scared to give past our normal little limit of giving to make it a reality now. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm not trying to drive a new Mercedes. I got a 2013 Accord and a 2004 Lexus. I'm not taking your money, but there was something. There was so much that you and I could do not to just sit back and wait for the kingdom of God someday in the sweet by and by. We can make the kingdom of God a reality now. We can clothe the naked now. We can feed the hungry now. And then we get to tell them, this is just a down payment. It's a foretaste of what's going to happen when when God finally becomes king over everything. And we can make the kingdom of God so beautiful and so attractive that people can't stay away from Jesus. Oh, I want it. 
I want it. I want it so bad. I want it so bad. Jesus has gotten such a bad reputation in our society. The church has such a poor reputation in our culture. I want to change it. I want to change it. I want to change what people and how people see Jesus. But that is not going to happen by me sitting back and being passive. I may have to give. I may have to stretch. I may have to take some risks. I may have to offer to pray some prayers that I know I can't do myself. But God, I am trusting. King of kings, I am calling on you. I am asking for the resources of heaven to flow through me, not to flow to me. And Stop praying for a new Mercedes. Stop praying for a new Mercedes. It bugs me so much when I hear about those preachers buying new jets. Knock it off. Jesus changed the world and he didn't even ride a donkey except one time. You don't need a jet. Good Lord, go feed somebody that's hungry. Go love on somebody that's unlovable. Be bold. Be daring. Be daring. And produce, and produce for the kingdom. Yield 30, 50, 100 fold for the kingdom. Love somebody until they can't stop looking at the Jesus that they see inside of you. Be the light of the world. Be a city that's set on a hill. Be the church. Be the church. Come on, all over this room. Can you lift up your hands with me right now and just make that prayer? Jesus, help us be the church. Oh, come on. I'm making it personal. Jesus, challenge me. Challenge me, Jesus, to be the church. To be the church. To be the church. Jesus said, these who receive the word do not Mature. So the last shift that we have to make is from neglect to maturity. Maturity comes when we stop making excuses and start making changes in our Christianity. Stop making excuses. Start making changes in how we live for God. Hello. You need to join a small group. You need to go through growth track. I'm telling you, if you haven't done that yet, today, don't leave church. Don't leave church today without signing up for a small group. Don't leave church without going into your app and signing up for growth track. I'm telling you, don't neglect to seek the kingdom first at the risk of everything else. Amen. His voice is unheard because his voice is choked out by neglect. We have ears, but since we're not taking risks that make us depend on God, we use our ears for other things. I'm telling you, you need to step out, take a risk so that God can produce for his kingdom through you and through me. Amen, amen. Jesus moves on to the heart that hears, the final ground. But the seed in verse 15 on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, who retain the word, and by persevering produce a crop. They hear it, they retain it, it gets digested in them, and then they let it start growing in them. And they produce. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That the point of hearing the voice of the Father is to produce something for the kingdom. It's to produce something for the kingdom. Which brings us to the last shift. We have to shift from being passive to preparing. From being passive in our Christianity to preparing for God to do something amazing because God can only produce in us what we are preparing to receive from him. You will never see miracles you aren't looking for. Hello? You will never see miracles that you aren't praying for. You will never have prayers answered that you are never speaking up to heaven. You'll never have a spirit fill up a moment or a conversation with someone who needs him if you never make that moment or have that conversation. It's time to make a shift. It's time for the church to be the church. And so we have to shift from doubt to trust, from pollution to purity, from neglect 
to maturity, and finally from passivity to preparing for everything that God wants to bring to us. Can I get an amen this morning? Thank you, Jesus. I, uh, I've told this story before. Growing up in a pastor's home, I was very happy not being a pastor. Um, I wasn't maybe lost per se. Maybe my parents would have said I was. <laughs> but I wasn't in, as engaged church as I needed to be. I knew how to be a Christian. I knew how to be a pastor's kid and kind of slip under the radar. And I can remember when I began to feel very dissatisfied in my heart. I can remember when God started dealing with me about spiritual leadership and church leadership. And it was so beautiful to me because right around the same time that I started feeling this, my, my dad, pastor before, for those that are newer to the church, the bishop of our church, he started talking to me about a way that I could be at the church more and do more at the church and be present, be around here more. And I was working, I was, I think, at 14 years or so, 13 years, and my job was Sprint and I was a senior technician there. But I felt like God was wanting me to leave my job. And then there were signs all around me and I just felt this pull. And I had done photography as a hobby before, kind of on the side, you know, but I felt this pull that, hey, maybe... Maybe I can make this work, you know, and be self-employed and then have more time to give to the church. But I, I, it was not even enough to live on. I mean, Chelsea has really expensive and extravagant tastes. She's really hard to, to satisfy and to keep happy at home, you know. And then Caleb eats more than like any three men put together. But, but I told my boss, and I can remember that conversation. I told my boss the next time... They offer a severance package, and they had started to offer some severance packages at different times. And uh, I told them, the next time they offer a severance package, I went out. And so November of that year, it came, and I accepted the severance package. And December 31st was going to be my final day with Sprint. And I was going to go out, and I was going to be self-employed and have to provide for my family through my own business. And do you know during that time period what nobody had to tell Chelsea and me to do more of? Pray. That's exactly right. Nobody had to guilt me into praying. Nobody had to tell me I needed to pray more. And so we started praying. In January of that following year, we kept praying. And then the nerves in my right hand died off. And I started losing muscle. In fact, I still have an absent muscle right there. But I can still grip really strong. It's okay. I'm all, I'm all good. And that's my shooting hand for photography. And all of a sudden, my hand is atrophying and the muscle is dying. And I'm like, good Lord, I missed it. Of all the times to miss the voice of God, when I got a wife and two kids and a dog and a mortgage and a car, what in the world? And so, you know, stop praying. <laughs> Prayer's dangerous, right? I'll say, no, we prayed more. I had six months of pay coming from the severance package. I had health coverage for just that little bit of time. And then Chelsea had her own complications and she had her surgery. And then I had my surgery like in February or March. I mean, I just left the job and out on my own. And then Chelsea had to swallow this radioactive pill and we had to stay away from her for 10 days and it was crazy. Like, what in the world is going on? Did I miss it? Did I mess up? Are we gonna go hungry? I'm happy to say I have not gone hungry. Thank you for clapping. <laughs> Don't clap for that. That's a horrible thing to clap for that I'm overweight. Don't clap for that. But I'm telling you, it got scary. It got scary there for a little bit. And, you know, photography for weddings for high-end clients, they usually book like a year in advance. And coming into that year, I did not have all the bookings for that year from the year before. I didn't have it. it, it there was no way on, on paper that it should have worked. And God, what's going on? You know, that maybe, did, I, did I miss it? Was that not really what I'm supposed to be doing. And then the first quarter of that year, I've got stitches in my arm with my arm in a sling from my surgery and I'm going out to meet with clients and I can't even bring them to my house. We were in like a, a mood. It was just a mess. 
I'm going out as a photographer to meet with prospective clients and my shooting arm is in a sling with huge stitches. I don't know what the people were thinking that booked me. It was nuts. They never should have booked me. But somehow, in those first few months, I filled up my entire year's calendar seven times what I had ever had before. The first year of going out on my own, we almost replaced my full salary. And the next year and every year after that, we went beyond my salary before. And it wasn't because of the guy with his arm in a sling. It was a God thing. It was, I can only attribute it to God. I have no other reason why it should have worked. It should not have worked. It should have failed. I should have fallen flat on my face. I can't tell you how scared we were, but I kept praying. I kept praying. I put myself on the ragged edge of God's will to the point where it was, God, if you don't come through, I'm going to look like the biggest lowlife for not supporting my family. But I'm telling you that when you know something is the voice of God, God, it cannot fail. God's purpose cannot fail. God cannot be stopped. I don't care what the obstacle is. Come on, can we stand in this room all over this building? I can't take credit for what happened. I I think it happened in spite of me. But I am telling you this morning in September of 2018, I want that all over again. I look back now at that season, I can't even hardly remember the anxiety. I can't even hardly remember the fear. But do you want me to tell you what's bubbling up in my heart right now? It is the joy and the gratitude of knowing that I prayed and God answered. And that's not because I'm special. I'm trying to tell you through this series, it can happen for you, but you can't play it safe. You can't just do what you've always done. Put yourself out there and let God come through somebody. Come on all over this room. Can you lift up your hands and say, God, help me to pray the prayers that you want me to pray. Come on all over this room. Can you begin to ask him, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you feel me? Wind of God, would you come and breathe in us? Would you speak over us? For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.